0: Welcome to the Artisan Situation Podcast, where we explore the artistry, sustainability, and culture around farming and food. I'm Zach Kaiser, and here's another adventure. When I caught the bug for sustainability, and specifically the intersection of farming and environmentalism, my college professor handed me a book called, The Unsettling of America. In large blue lettering, the last name Barry ran up the spine of the book. 250 pages later, my ideas, my perspective, my frustration, and my enthusiasm to create a more sustainable food system was amplified. In this book, Wendell Barry brought to light many problems facing agricultural communities and society in the 1960s and 70s. He explained the importance of living within our limits, the need to support rural farm communities, and how industrial principles and values have infiltrated our culture. Our guest today, Mary Berry, is continuing the work and stewardship that her father exclaimed in this book over 40 years ago. Working at the Berry Center, located in her hometown of Newcastle in Henry County, Kentucky, Mary is spending her time farming, advocating for farmers, building more resilient communities, and creating economies for the farming population living there. Growing up in a rural farming community has shaped her identity. Mary is a farmer, encouraging to young farmers coming up, honest about the challenges, hopeful about the future, and unrelenting in her focus. She focuses her efforts on bringing people back to the farm and keeping them there by making sure there is financial and cultural support. Taking inspiration from the federal tobacco program that her grandfather championed, she is working to provide stability to farmers through quota systems and market price support. By supporting farmers, she hopes to bring people back to the farm and to allow those working in the fields to continue their work. I sat down with her in the spring of 2017 while traveling west through the rolling hills of Kentucky. Join us at the table. This is Mary Berry of the Berry Center in Newcastle, Kentucky. Um, So would you like to just introduce yourself? All right. um, And and tell us where we are and and what you are doing these days in the world of food. That's generally how I start.
1: (laughs) My name is Mary Berry. I'm the executive director of the Berry Center, located where we are sitting in Newcastle, Kentucky. It's a little town surrounded by farms. Uh, My family and I have lived and farmed in this area for eight generations and my children are the ninth (laughs) so we are um certainly at home here Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and uh and you know i there's there's so much around your family um, especially all the writing around what wendell has has written um but it seems like you guys are embracing this idea of food culture and, and or just the culture around farming and how that plays a major role in the way we think about the world and food. Um, is that like kind of the major goal of this whole center? Or could you kind of describe the goals of this center and what, and what you guys are trying to strive to do? Well,
1: I'm a lot more interesting, interested in talking about the culture of farming than the culture of food. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the f- food food as the central topic has been weak. Mm -hmm. I think we've got to talk about farmers, farming, land use, economy, and so on. If we don't, we're just going to have a food movement that continues to bypass farmers instead of um, encouraging the kind of resilient land-conserving communities that we've got to have if we're going to have good food Mm -hmm. but food is um food is the product that comes out of a culture yeah and we've and we've got the food now that our culture has produced which is terrible food Mm -hmm. um, destroying people's health destroying the land destroying land conserving communities and so on so um the center i really was Started to um, it, it was started to continue my family's work in agriculture. There's no question about that. But it came out of, the, of my realization that the food movement had bypassed farmers. Mm-hmm. That after really 30 plus years of a food movement, maybe 40 plus in some parts of the country, Chez Panisse in Berkeley, California was started in the 70s. Uh, maybe even the early 70s, I can't tell you exactly now, but I think pretty early. I remember as a teenager, and I'm 58 now, going with uh, farmers from Henry County to deliver food to restaurants. So this is not new. Mm -hmm. Um, But the whole time we've been celebrating and celebrating more and more local food, the number of farmers has plummeted. Mm -hmm. So none of the numbers look good, and I maybe you read uh, a couple of years ago in the New York Times an editorial by a farmer named Brent Smith.
0: Yes, yes. Who yes.
1: said the dirty little secret of the food mo- food movement is that farmers aren't making a living? Mm-hmm. That's not an exact quote, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. And that's the absolute truth. Um, we have fewer than one percent farming. Sixteen percent of us living in rural places. Um, I don't know where people think this delicious, locally grown, organic, beautiful food's going to come from if we don't have more people mm-hmm. farming, and we're not going to have more people farming if they're in a constant economic emergency if they do it.
0: and And so I just I, I, when I first you know, I, I first got into the world of, of learning about agriculture. I read Unsettling of America, and, and what I took from that was that it's it's m- m- way more of a cultural movement, that it, it's, it, you know, technology can only go so far, uh, you know, I- advancement of the way we think about things, you know, can only go so far, It's 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 got to revolve around this lifestyle and this culture, and...
1: I don't think um, it's a lifestyle. Yeah,
0: yeah. Not, I think it's yeah. deeper
1: than that, but it is a culture... Food is a cultural product and we've got to have the culture that supports good farming. I think I've, two questions I try to keep on my mind all the time is um, how, can we, how can farmers afford to farm well and how can we become a culture that will support good farming? If we don't think about those two things, we're just going to continue to let corporations supply us with our supposedly local food.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and why, don't we, why don't we peel back the, the onions a little bit on, on your family's experience here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful out today, 70 degrees in February, which is both beautiful yet um, ominous, I feel like. <laughs> um, how, you know, how has your family um, kind of, you know, lived in this community? Um, what kind of farming did you guys do? Did you, your family do growing up? What are you guys doing now um, farming? Um, and and if, what was that just? You've always grown up in this world, and, and I'd love to hear your perspective on, on what it was like growing up in, in this world.
1: Well, I grew up in the, a tobacco culture. Mm-hmm. Um, this was tobacco country. Um, that's one of the, th- the reasons for the Berry Center is to study the tobacco program which uh, my grandfather, John Barry Sr., was one of the principal authors of. And I think that program, which um, protected farmers in the marketplace, protected them from uh, overproduction, protected the land from overuse, um, and for a long time, encouraged a diversified farm culture. Um, so I grew up in that culture. Uh, My father and mother, I grew up on a farm about 10 miles from here, Um, my parents never raised tobacco. There was a base on that farm that they leased out, um, and when I got older, um, we raised that crop. But we um, we had really a very good subsistence, farming operation. I would say when I was growing up we raised probably 85 percent of what we ate. We had a had a meat hogs and cattle for meat and a dairy cow and a big organic garden and work horses and so on and so forth. And daddy uh, in those days was, besides writing, which He's always writing. (laughs) I was also teaching at the University of Kentucky after some traveling um, around the world, really, when I was very young. Um, When I grew up, I went away for a little while to go to school and came home and took up farming. Bought a farm in 1982, 83, when I was 22. And... Took up um, besides a dairy and uh, subsistence agriculture, we also grew tobacco. Um, my husband Steve Smith started the first CSA in Kentucky in nineteen ninety. Um, he he was raised in a generational farm family, it goes back as far as, as far as mine,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but we were tobacco dependent farmers we were diversified but the Mm -hmm. the tobacco was the backbone i mean it made the farm payment yeah um i think i'm probably jumping around too much but back to that program i believe that's what we need again around food around the production of food Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um so that that we bring some kind of stability to farming Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to grow the numbers of farmers any other way but back to my family I think my father saw the end of solar powered agriculture Um, I saw I think the end of community agriculture Um, when the tobacco program ended the kind of neighborly exchanges of work and so on that were going on here as part of the culture ended with it Mm -hmm. and unfortunately um, heartbreakingly what's taken the place of the tobacco culture is a corn and soybean agriculture which is uns- just very input unspeakably intensive. bad well we're rolling here mm-hmm. and the erosion and so on even on no-till is just awful besides the fact that farmers aren't prospering mm-hmm. um, corn is I don't even know what it is now but it's it's low um mm-hmm. So things aren't good. And we live about 40 miles away from a city where the demand for local food is said to outrun supply by five times. I cannot name a farmer in Henry County right now that is raising for that market. That market? No. And I can name a lot of farmers who tried
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I can name a lot of farmers who uh, got discouraged and took up some other kind of farming that they, some other kind of farming that they could predict. Mm -hmm. Um, What we've got now is uh, we can, we can offer farmers two choices. They can be small and entrepreneurial or large and industrial with almost nothing in the middle. And in the middle is where most of our farmers are. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're describing right now a very economic issue, and that and that that plays a large part in how farmers, you know, livelihoods are, and that and that, you know, that pushes people in certain directions that they might not necessarily want to go. Um, what was it about the tobacco program that you think made it so successful? What was what was it about the program that helped um, this community diversify their farm, but also become more viable financially?
1: Well, you asked me a few minutes ago about the history of my family here. So I'll tell you uh, the story, really, that I think started our family's public life. My grandfather uh, remembered his own father coming home to the home place. Picture over there is, <laughs> is the home place. Um, he remembered his father coming home after the sale of the 1908 tobacco crop with nothing after he would paid his warehouse fees that was a year's work amounting to nothing and that was happening all over the place because of, uh, of the Duke Tobacco Trust which just had their
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's not very good for radio <laughs> is it but uh, their hands you know the Tied. farmers in a chokehold uh-huh. and my grandfather would tell us when I was young and he, I know he told his children I, when I grow up if I can do something about this I will Mm -hmm. And he grew up and he did something about it, which is to take a program, um, that had been written and started and had not worked very well, um, and make it work. So every farm in Kentucky, every farm in an eight state Burley belt had a quota Mm -hmm. and that quota, um, for instance, we bought a, well, close to a 200 acre farm in 1983, that farm had a five acre toba- tobacco base. That five acre tobacco base made the farm payment. The farm, the tobacco base meant that those five acres, which could be split into, you know, five acre patches, five, five, uh, one acre patches, or however we wanted to do it. But it meant only the flattest, least erodible part of our farm was plowed. Around that was really perennial agriculture. We Mm. grew some uh, corn for our livestock, but three or four acres. Uh Um, Around that was a permanent pasture, forage crops, hay crops, um, and then, of course, garden space and so on. So that's what I I mean, we didn't the, the it didn't the the program kept farmers from having to be in that desperate situation they're in in a bad year they try to produce more that leads to overproduction. So yeah. the price the goes down kind of movement. So yeah. yeah. So And when I say we lived in a tobacco culture, because of the stigma of tobacco, um, I think that has a negative connotation. But when I say tobacco culture, what I'm thinking of is a stable farm population. Mm -hmm. And there is no reason we can't have that again if we have the imagination and the will to do something about the situation that we've got now. Um... When we were young and went to the bank to borrow money to buy a farm, the loan officer wanted to know how big our tobacco base was, besides the other things that one would need to know.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, that allowed us to buy the farm. This meant this was an economic structure that we could, follow, that we could um, function in. You could plan mm-hmm. a year around. There is nothing like that now. My husband and I say very often, um, one way or another, all the yeah. entrepreneurial work we did to try to keep farming and make farm payments all those years which we did successfully. We thought we were heading for some kind of food system that we could fit in at some point. Mm-hmm. And it has just simply never happened.
0: So it was like it would guarantee a base for the tobacco okay, back to and the, then around yeah. that it would you know, everything else would kind of be more, you know, additional benefits to the farmer, correct? Um, Like it would, like the...
1: Yeah, you could make more. I mean, we had a dairy that made money. Uh We had, um, we had other ways to make money. And there was subsistence agriculture also that kept us from having to have so much money. Mm -hmm. And one other thing I should say about the tobacco program is that it very carefully matched supply with demand. So the quota would go up and down a little bit fluctuate a little bit mm-hmm. but and it was a price support never a subsidy mm-hmm. Ca- it cost the government nothing now we don't have the public will or the any friends in high places now to do to do anything like this because it flew in the face of um, well the free market
2: yeah <laughs> yeah
1: but I, I keep the principles of that program on my mind all the time in the things that we're trying to do here mm-hmm. now with farmers today.
0: And um, you're thinking about it, um, like it applying to other types of farming. Um, you, you mentioned grain, um, also dairy. Um, where, how do you think that that could be applied? Uh, how do you see that being applied
1: well, we're working. We're working where I think the culture is, and the what's left of good farming in our area is around livestock production. So our initial, um, our first program is a local local beef initiative. Um, we don't process. We don't finish beef here. Um, Be uh, cattle are very well raised until they're weaned, and then they're shipped to feedlots. Mm-hmm. Um, So what we're trying to do is figure out how to incentivize either finishing cattle here or um, process smaller so that you have a smaller product but a higher quality. Mm -hmm. So maybe this... um, So maybe our farmers can begin to get back in or in to the local production for local markets, we have a really lovely new processing facility called Trackside um, near us, which has made all of this possible. Um, to think about these, the, the local beef initiative that we're working on, um, but they had an order from a food from a distributor for one finished weigh carcass a week. That would be about 1,500 pounds. Mm-hmm. They could not fill that order in this area that's full of beef cattle. They had to go to a feedlot in Indiana to fill it. Um, the reason farmers don't finish cattle here is because to finish them on grass, for instance, or finish them at all, you got to hold them longer. you got to mm-hmm. hold them another year. hmm these rolling farms, our farm, for instance, is a good example. Um, there's not room to hold. So you'll have two calf crops, mm-hmm. and there's not room. Um, it also increases risk. So I guess, you know, this is very specific in some ways, but these are the kinds of things that people got to think about.
0: And communities need to come together around that discussion and kind of figure it out right. amongst
1: each other. Yeah. right. Because they're very,
0: they're very localized issues that need to be figured
2: out.
1: I think America. if anything, if, I, if the, this recent presidential election has shown us anything, we've just got to go to work where we are. I mean, it's crazy to try to beat your head against that brick wall. We've got to go to work right where we are with what we know we've got. My father says often, what do you have? What's here? What used to be here? What, that will tell you what could be here. And go to work on it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, and you said this earlier already, that you know there is definitely this, this weird, very small entrepreneurial farm and these large industrial farms. And, um, and it was something that you know, Dan Barber wrote in the third play at, um, on the New York Times article about these mid-sized farms need to be saved um, and something I face a lot um, with the community I spend a lot of time with, which is a lot of young farmers who are really interested in starting their own farm, is you know, they, they get kind of pushed into this very entrepreneurial niche world, but they, they do want to like, help their family who has had a mid-sized farm, and they're, they're trying to transition. What would you tell that young farmer? If they, if they want to transition to this mid-sized farm and save their family farm, how, how can they do that? What do you think is the first step that they can take to, to do that?
1: Well, that that is very hard to answer because so many things play mm-hmm. into that question.
2: Yeah. Have
1: they bought the farm? Do they need to make farm payments?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, things like that 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 I I just can't cavalierly answer that. But I will say that I think for um, people who know how to farm, generational farm families maybe, Don't forget about subsistence. Don't forget about um, eating from your own place. Maybe think about it first. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Now, that's awfully hard if you've got a farm payment to make. Uh But I think your question gets to the crux of the problem we're in. Is because I've farmed all my life I know a good deal about entrepreneurial farming I also know about farming in the middle I've done them both and I don't know how to answer that question I know here what I would tell a young farmer I would I could help a young farmer in Henry County Kentucky mm-hmm. I would know who to call who to talk to about what the possibilities are for that person, for their beef cattle, or mm-hmm. for their um, vegetable crops, uh, and so on. But I can't tell you what I would tell somebody in Westchester County, New York, where land is—I'm yeah. guessing a million dollars an acre. Yeah, I have no idea. Chance, yeah. So. I mean, you've got to take, if you're a young farmer, you've got to take advantage of what's around you that you can take advantage of. Mm -hmm. But I do think when farming stopped being subsistence first, it started going wrong. And that's one thing that divides the farming population now that's so polarized. Um, That's one of the things that we're trying to work hard on with our educational program and everything we do is to not... Not say okay. This is good. This kind of farming is good, and this kind of farming is bad. What I'm trying to say is, I'm going to give. We're going to give you an economic incentive to to join um, us in our efforts to feed a local population,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and hope that it grows from there. Um, hope it. I hope it turns farmers a little toward what I think is a better, there's a word, uh, (laughs) or a more more, uh, sustainable way to farm.
0: I kind of like that idea in in that it's a very succinct idea. Like, let's just focus on making our community better one at a time. Like Mm -hmm. this one right here, let's focus down. It's what we know. You know, we know what the community needs, we know, you know, where the challenges are and, and start from there rather than solving all of the problems at once.
1: Well, we can't solve all the problems. We've got to solve them where we are. We are at the point at which I heard recently, and I, I shouldn't say this on any sort of podcast, I don't suppose, but that 86,000 farmers in this country are making a living farming straight from that they're making a living without money coming from other places. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's nothing. So, and that's with a, people clamoring for local organic food. Mm -hmm. This is not working. So, we're down to it as far as I'm concerned. My work, our work here at the Berry Center needs to be so specific as for me to be able to go out to Clint Woods Farm less than a mile from here and say, I'll take, we'll take that calf and that calf. And we're going to pay you good money and you don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. You don't have to swear to, you don't have to vote a certain way. You don't have to eat a certain way. You just come on with us.
2: Mm-hmm
0: and yeah and and that's what you're trying to pull from this tobacco program is that ideal right then that now that, well, that's what was the there. ideal
1: um at this point it's a stretch yeah. but at the, but the ideal is to think of parity pricing mm-hmm. to think that in the the simplest way to think about parity is um, that the farmer gets his cost of production or her cost of production back and makes a little something mhm and I just don't think that those kinds of conversations are going on enough. I mean, I, I have been for five or six years now going around and speaking here and there to this group and that group. Um, the positive thing is that there are more and more people interested, more and more people who know something about what we're talking about. Daddy says when he wrote The Unsettling of America, he had four allies besides his family. Now, um, anywhere you go, you, you find people who are interested. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you find a lot of urban people who are interested, and thank God for them. But they don't know much about farming. And I run in all the time into a fantasy all the time that there are a lot of farmers out here in the countryside who are just dying to raise organic produce. If they can just, you know, if we can just tweak it a little bit or find the market or something, um, it's basically if if we build it, they'll come. Mm-hmm. This is not true. It's just not true. First of all, farmers in our area don't have any history of raising <laughs> market <laughs> gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, they can learn, but... At this point, their choice, if they do it, is to go stand at a farmer's market all day, or sell at race to the bottom wholesale prices.
0: So yeah, I mean that's that's such a, it, it it yeah I mean you have to you have to focus down you have to focus on what what do those people know what can they what do they know that they can be very successful at and 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 push forward in that way. Um, do you think? I mean, obviously, this election had a very polarizing effect. I feel like on America, and and I've, I feel like it's very important that a lot of these ideals that the these rural communities have um, needs to be expressed to the rest of the world, and is and is and is being forgotten, I think, sometimes, and should should be more voiced um, in in this world because I think you know a lot of these ideals of of. You know, making a lot of what you have and and some of these other these other things that I that I've learned from a lot of people that I've experienced in these communities. Um, Do you think that we need to bring that voice more to the forefront Um, or at least, you know, get rid of this disconnect? I feel like there is between this urban and rural community, like separate and say that there's no there's no divide. You know, we're all in this together. Well,
1: there's no, there's not going to be any kind of local food system if we don't reconnect urban and rural places or rural and urban places. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. Um, we will still be getting our organic food, if that's what we want, from monocultures in, well, all <laughs> over the place, yeah. California and so on. We're not going to be, we're not going to be. Well, I think, I think often of what people mean by homeland security. You know, what does Louisville need? What does it really need? Um, I was reading in some novel uh, not so long ago, they were talking about London during the Blitz was hungry in three days because supply lines were cut. I don't really... Uh, enjoy talking apocalyptically, but the fact is, this is a worry. Mm -hmm. It's a worry. So Louisville, surrounded as it is by a well-watered, fertile countryside, that's the matchup that needs to be made. It needs to be made all over this country. Cities and their surrounding landscapes. Mm -hmm. Um, But but we're going to have to start we're going to have to start um, thinking about farmers first. Mm-hmm. Thinking about land use first, not just the will of the consumer.
2: Mm-hmm. That, yeah. It's... And
1: so, yes, and let me say, yes, the, this polarization that this election, I don't think it brought it on, it just brought it out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And suddenly people who should have been concerned a long time ago about what was going on in rural America... ...suddenly are concerned. Now, I'm a little worried about the concern. It doesn't seem to me to be going in the right direction. Uh Um, A lot of people are talking about the... ...especially the rural South as uh, xenophobic and racist... ...and all of the things people have said about the South for years. I'm not going to argue about whether... ...what I know to be true and what I know to be false... I will simply say that you cannot pull economies out of places and expect people to be happy and um, they're mad mm-hmm. they're I believe they're mad at the wrong people mm-hmm. but they're but the people out here are mad mm-hmm. um, kids whose grandfathers or even parents were. Um, land holding stable farmers are now working in power plants up and down the Ohio River they're mad Mm -hmm. Um, if you're a success in this area you work for um, some corporation at some mind numbing um, inside job I don't Mean to besmirch this But I'm saying And then we're surprised We have a drug culture mm-hmm. Um This just won't do
2: mm-hmm.
1: So we're destroying The land We're destroying the. We have nearly destroyed The people who belong To the land And To think that cities Are going to prosper Ultimately While all With all this ruination Around them Is crazy But we persist In the Delusion hmm I was thinking this morning about what I, people ask me so often what I think about the farm bill and the this and the that, and I'm, I think my answer to that's going to be for a while that it has been official policy since the 50s that we had too many farmers and we needed to get rid of them. We have been destroyed, this has been destruction by design out here. And I think I'm going to start saying that the, that the USDA needs to, to um, recant that. Needs to say, okay, we've done it. We're did, we got rid of all the extra farmers, and now we're down to so few that um, it's an emergency. So now we're going to change that policy, and we're going to start doing what we need to do to build it back. That's not going to happen, but I think that's going to be my answer because I I don't you know as long the the official policy of too many farmers and get big and get out is still it's nobody's ever said that's wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: it, yeah, it's it's it, and and Jack mentioned this uh, yesterday to me uh, that you know. He, he felt, like, upset and distraught that, that for some reason we let this happen, but, it, you know, it, it's... I don't think it's necessarily that we let it happen. We were... I feel like people were pushed into this. And, I, and I'm not one to talk, but... Um...
1: Well, um... I think there have been ways in which I would, I would agree that we have let this happen. Um we let it happen by refusing to say no refusing to count the cost refusing to do what the Amish culture does which is say is that technology good for our community or is it not we just simply didn't do that We, I think the tobacco culture kept that sort of independent thinking in place for a while because those kinds of um cultures of people who can think can't be in a constant emergency they can't be squeezed all the time Mm -hmm. and so I think that we are all implicit in the mess we're in I don't think any of us can feel better than anybody else about Mm this but I think at this point we've got to come to some kind of there's got to be some kind of coming together and we've got to stop Um, I do sometimes wonder if the local food movement has partially failed because the people who, who are so fired up about local food get out to the countryside and find out they don't maybe don't even like farmers (laughs) i mean they don't vote right and they're they're conservative i don't necessarily mean um politically but um i don't mean all farmers are any which way i'm a raving liberal and a farmer but and so is my husband but um i don't know i just i think that the cultures are so separated now that that the movement hasn't worked very well because of the vast differences in the culture. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any it's, sense or not, but
0: yeah, there's like a it's a communication uh, issue, I think. Uh, for, you know, because I, I I know exactly what you're saying. Like, I and I'm 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 defaulted probably in, in this is like I have you know I'm I'm. I've come from an urban area and I and I have an Instagram account and I, it's all about social media and, and all those types of things. But, you know, and, and that doesn't translate necessarily to that community in, in the same way. And, and you know, I, 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 there's, there's a lot of, like, I think communication disconnects of, of, like, what is important and what is valuable. I think it's going back to these values and connecting with the local community on what your values are. Like, I, I find it very powerful when you mention that, like, You know if you come together as a community they can't really no one can touch you like you are powerful in this web of connections that you've made well we have some
1: some um, evidence of that that when communities do come together they're hard to um, it's it's hard to get anything by them it's hard to run your pipeline through them or Mm -hmm. um, tear the tops off the mountain or but if those people are in economic distress Mm -hmm. then it gets Mm -hmm. easier
2: -hmm: oh, Yeah.
1: So uh, back to the work of the Barry Center. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done what people do when they start nonprofits. I've uh, thrown too much in, but so we're trying to work I mean, the bookstore is here, not just because my father is a writer, although that certainly plays. I would certainly be lying to st- <laughs> if I said it had nothing to do with it. Uh-huh. but we also need some lie we need a bookstore in this town. Mm-hmm. We need a place for people to come and look at books uh, or just not look at books, just stop in. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to celebrate our shared culture somehow, and at this point, books are about the best. Place to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like the seer um, did a part of that. A kind of. Um,
1: do you know it's now called Look and See?
0: Okay, Look and See. Uh, it uh, it it showcased that, right? Did you see Look and See? I I've seen clips of it. I haven't seen the whole thing, but I feel like it showcased a lot of uh, of you know. It, it brought this community together. It's something that everyone could could get around. Correct? Was it? Did you feel like it was something that. I don't. I think that's together. yet to see. I, yeah.
1: I don't think we know that yet. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I, I. The movie is a beautiful movie. Laura Dunn who and her husband Jeff, who um, did the movie, did a beautiful job and a responsible job and took us and our um, community and our worries. Absolutely seriously, but I don't know if I think a movie can pull anything together. Um, the I'm not I'm actually trying my best not to say anything negative because I appreciate the effort. But I yeah, think, and
0: I don't think I'm saying like it, it was like something that pushed things majorly forward. I just think it 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 took some of those thoughts forward, like it. it you know, it was it was something that the community could get a, get behind in in a in a way because it showcased the community. We'll
1: see. I don't know. Yeah, I'm much more hopeful that the local beef initiative and our just beginning to work with um, um, organic grain and so on. I'm much more hopeful. Maybe it's just that I can imagine how it might work that a young farmer says. To his his or her friend, I made pretty good money working with this. Well, I'll say local beef initiative, but it will have another name at some point. Um, with the with these people, you ought to look into it, mm-hmm. and that it spreads that way. The and that to me is building a foundation again of what we've got to have out here. People working in uh, cooperation, not competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so the movie, the film, I think does a very good job for, the odds are, a mostly urban population of thinking about the lives of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does that very well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, we'll see. I yeah.
0: don't know. Um, what would define success for the Berry Center? What what um, is it? Is it uh, you know? Is it just bringing that vibrant farm community back yes. here? Is that the, the main goal? Yes. <laughs> That's the main the vision that you want to that you want the very well. I push don't expect forward. to
1: live to see it. <laughs> I'm I just don't. But I expect I hope to see a good beginning. Um, my husband and I went to Holmes County uh, a couple of years ago to the Amish community there. Our friend David Klein, who is a writer and an Amish man. Um, lives in Holmes County, we went to visit and we were driving around the area and it just suddenly struck me so powerfully that what I was seeing there is what I'm missing here every day because I grew up going, driving around productive, pretty healthy farms. I mean, there, there was decline, but it was still pretty good people outside families working together and that's what you see in holmes county and you do not see it here anymore it's just not here Mm -hmm. you see some you know i know some people who are farming and farming pretty well and but it's it's here and then it's over here and if you're lucky it's over here too but you know these the farming now that's not livestock farming is done in great big equipment that doesn't belong here at all um, people separated from each other you know probably listening to music up and up in air condition. I mean cut off mm-hmm. cut off might as well be a pilot in a plane
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you know the vision of uh, or the possibility that that could exist here again um I am so grateful to eight generations or seven generations before me of my family for keeping Henry County a possibility for me. And I think I've got to take my place in that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say it's harder, but maybe it's harder. (laughs) I mean, you know, my grandfather as He did incredible work but he had a large population of people who knew what they were doing and how to do it how to farm Mm -hmm. how to farm pretty well how to help each other Um, and we just don't have it now so we've got to build it back
0: well I want you to personally know that that your family's definitely struck a chord with me and and I take a lot of um you know, what your family's doing and and take it with me in in the way I want to see the world and and think about it. So that's very nice. Yeah. So thanks for, for kickstarting that in in my life. Um, Is there anything else that you would want to say to uh, a young farmer today? You know, I think a lot of young farmers are concerned about the future.
1: Um, Of course they are.
2: what,
0: What, what would you tell them to, you know, to, to, to you know think positively or, or what can they do on a daily basis to make change
1: well hmm. I was thinking the other day about a, a young person I know who wants to buy a house that they may or may not be able to afford and this was not a farmer, not a farm but I was thinking, if you are passionate and in love with this idea and this work and excited about it, then do it. Um, It'll probably keep you going. Mm -hmm. I've seen it happen. I mean, you know, people talk about land prices now, When we were young, buying land, um, it's about three thousand dollars an acre now out here. It was twenty five hundred then. Interest rates then for a young farmer, uh, for uh, there were young farmer loans, was nine percent. Thirteen percent was normal. Now it's four and a half. Uh, There are young farmer programs where it's down to one percent. Um the land out here is still affordable. If we had something like the tobacco program, you know, that that people could have a stable income
2: mm-hmm. from
1: pretty good farming, I you know, I think young farmers would be buying these farms. But we bought we bought land, we lived on very little money. Um, but we were surrounded by family and friends. The work was interesting. Um, And we had that old knowledge passed down to us. This is what young farmers today are doing without. They're not surrounded by the kinds of people we were who know, um, well, when my husband and I were putting in our first tobacco crop a uh, farmer who's lived who'd lived near that farm all his life came to help us every day every day and I thought he was coming because we were so much fun and you know we were serving a good lunch and so on <laughs> but I got to be a lot older before I saw that what he was doing was he was helping us mm-hmm. he was giving him himself to us so that with his help, we would not make mistakes we didn't have to make. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is what we need again. But back to, I think the most worrisome thing to me about the young farmers today, besides all that they, you know, how hard it is, is that if they didn't grow up farming and they didn't grow up in a farm community, They don't, especially when they have children, they begin to think that they need a life. They need things that they can't afford if they're farming. So then at that point, they've got to think this is worth everything. Raising a child or children on a farm, involving them in the work, being involved in their lives and um, it's worth. It's it's better than vacations at the beach and violin lessons and trips to museums because you can't afford it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you've got to live. You've got to be willing to live within the the con the. Well, live within your means. Mm-hmm. That worries me. It worries me because it's hard. It's so hard. And it pulls couples apart. Um, and it, it's just, it, that's worrisome. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not much I can do about that except to <laughs> speak, speak as a person who's 58 and who raised their children on a farm that was worth, that kind of childhood for me, for my children, for my father, I don't regret any of it. Mm-hmm. I don't regret anything. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that that made any sense, but.
0: <laughs> it makes sense with me. I mean, just. But, because you... I
1: don't know what else you can, you know, you've got, if you choose the life, you've got to take the, live in the context of the life you've chosen.
0: Thanks for tuning in. If you have a chance, share the show with a friend. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to find out where our adventures are taking us next. Check out our website for new podcasts, photocentric storytelling, and glimpses into the world of food. Our lead editor is Rebecca Shenton, and our music was created by Ben Wank of Three Springs Fruit Farm. Till next time, this is Zach Kaiser, signing off.